The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Cricket Albertson. One day when Papa Bear was living with us, and he came, I came into his room, and he said to me, Cricket, I want to read you a story. And it was the story of Johann Blumhart, who was a pastor in, um, in Germany, uh, and they were having a lot of demonic activity in their area. There was, a very, there was an oppression, and there was a darkness. And so one day, Johann and others were praying over a, a demon-possessed girl. And as they prayed for her, they prayed and they prayed together. Um, as they prayed for her, all of a sudden, the girl let out this cry. And the way they described it was an anguished, an anguished cry. And the, the words that this girl spoke were, Jesus is Victor. And when um, Johann Blumhart described it, he said, these were the words of an, the anguished cry of a demon as it left a girl and departed. Jesus is Victor. And that became the rallying cry for, for the church um, in that part of the world for, for a long time. In fact, in Corrie ten Boone's home, on the wall, there was a plaque, and the plaque said, Jesus is Victor. And that is what we're going to study today. Mark 5 is all about Jesus is victor over evil. And that's what I want us to look at today. So if you have your Bible, turn with me and we're going to read um, chapter 5 in Mark 1 all the way down to 20. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when Jesus had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains. He had often been bound with shackles and chains, but the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken into pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran, and he worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you, by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion for we are many. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send him out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountain. So all the demons begged Jesus saying, send us into the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. And then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. And then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to them who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. And then they began to plead with Jesus to depart from their region. And when Jesus got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged Jesus that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim into Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him. And all marveled. Will you pray with me? Jesus, 
Thank you that Mark proclaims Jesus is Lord in every way. And Mark 5 proclaims that Jesus is Lord over evil. And so Jesus, we invite you as we talk together to come and guide our thoughts and order, let our minds think your thoughts. And I pray your Holy Spirit would guide us, Jesus, so that there is no fear um, as we live as followers of Jesus, but that we can live confident because of your victory over evil. We want to declare over this place and this time that Jesus is victor. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the fun things about this story is how Mark 4 ends. Mark 4 ends simply by saying, they were, remember that they were in the boat and Jesus had just calmed the storm and the disciples were amazed and the disciples were afraid. And then the chapter 4 ends and they look at each other and marvel and say, who can this man be? And it's kind of interesting because this is in chapter 4. In chapter 8, Jesus is going to say, who do men say that I am? So this is a recurring theme. Who is this man? And of course, we've, we've already seen Jesus perform miracles, but now Jesus is going to perform, perform a miracle like they've never seen. And um, so, so Jesus is Lord over evil, is what chapter 5 wants to say. In chapter 4, Jesus is Lord over nature. He's Lord over the sea and, now, and Lord over the chaos. He brings order into our lives. And now Jesus is saying, I'm Lord over evil. So the interesting thing is the disciples... And Jesus are in the boat, and this is the same the, the, the morning after the, the night of the storm, and they arrive they arrive on the shoreline of of the of the Gentile part of the Gadarenes, and um and so they um they get out of the boat, and it's not too far that they go because for all of a sudden this demon possessed man comes running towards them. Now the interesting thing about this story is that Mark is, um, is, wa is wanting us to know that Jesus is Lord over all that is unclean. So the spirit is described as the unclean spirit in, in chapter 2. Um, this man lives among the tombs, which was an unclean place. So he lives with the bones of, of dead men and women. So it's an unclean place. He's demon-possessed. And then he's cutting himself. He's doing things that are destructive. He's unclean in every way. And then even the swine that come in later in the story um, are a sign of uncleanness in, in Jewish life. So everything about this story says that it's unclean, unclean, unclean. So I wish that I could see the disciples <laughs> as they get to the, they've just seen Jesus calm the storm. Then they get to the other side of the sea and all of a sudden this literally crazy man is running towards them in the middle of an unclean place um, and and they're the only thing around them are are pigs so I, I imagine the disciples were kind of heading heading for the boat uh, and waiting to see what Jesus would do and then the interesting thing is I think that we want to remember is, as Jesus as Jesus arrives on the shore, this is the first time that he's been in Gentile land. So up to this point, the ministry in Mark has all been to the Jewish people. And now Jesus begins to reach out. And he actually goes outside the precincts and, and, and begins to minister to the Gentile world. So Jesus is saying, the extent of my good news is for the whole world. And so this is one of the messages he's trying to communicate to his disciples. This isn't just for the Jewish people. It's for the whole world. And this is beginning the beginning of his reach for the whole world. The other thing he's trying to say is, 
It's not just for the whole world in every land. It's for every single person. No matter how broken, no matter how sinful, no matter how depraved, no matter how, how much darkness, every single person is within the scope of God's redeeming love and grace. This would have been a very foreign concept to the Jews. This would not have been something in the Jews. It was all very structured, and you had to you had to meet certain regulations. And you had, in order to be part of the worship, you had to you had to fit into a very narrow group of people. And Jesus is breaking that wide open and saying, "No, the, my message, my heart, my salvation is for the whole world." And I think as we as we um, look at this passage, that needs to be a heart. This is God's heart for the whole world. Um, that, that his good news, that Jesus Christ is for the whole world and that he's for every single person in his world, no matter how broken, no matter how hurt. I love it because Jesus, I think Jesus, as we look back at the paralytic, remember he healed the paralytic, but he's really trying to give a message to the Pharisees. And then the next, the man with the withered hand, but it's really the scribes and the Pharisees he's trying to communicate with. When he comes to see, he's trying to communicate a message to his disciples. And now you have um, him healing this man. So he's healing the man, but he's also trying to communicate this message for his disciples. Not, not for a narrow understanding of who Jesus is, but for this wide open view for God for the whole world. Then we're going to find in the next two miracles, next time that we do, that Jesus performs the miracles, not with the scribes and Pharisees, not just with the disciples, but he performs those two miracles in front of a whole multitude of people. So Jesus is widening his circles of communicating and the stages are being set to acknowledge who Jesus is. So I think one of the things that we can um, we could say is that Jesus comes to make not only does Jesus come um, as Lord over evil, but Jesus comes to make all things clean. And I love that. I love the passage in Ezekiel 36. This was God's promise to his people. Listen, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take out the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you will dwell in the land that I have given to your fathers. You shall be my people. I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. That's God's promise given in Ezekiel 36. And now that is coming to fulfillment in Jesus um, as he, as all of Mark 5, not just this story, but the two stories we're going to look at next, all deal with uncleanness. We have the uncleanness that comes from this demon-possessed man living in the tombs. And then in Jairus and the woman with the flow of blood, which are the next two stories, we have the uncleanness that comes from death and the uncleanness that comes from blood. So Jesus is trying to communicate this larger message. I am the one who has come to fulfill what God said in Ezekiel 36 give you a new covenant and to make you clean and so that's what he wants to do now I love the detail that's given about this demon-possessed man they are the um, the gospel writer is very concerned that we understand the depth of depravity and the de depth of, of brokenness in this man um, the amount of control that this this unclean spirit had over him um, he's un it's an unclean spirit he dwells among the tombs no one could bind him and you, you hate the story that is behind that words, not even with chains. They had tried to bind him. They had tried to contain him. They had tried, um, but every time that he was bound, he pulled apart his chains and he broke them in pieces. He could not be tamed. So it was almost as if we have a wild animal um, that they were trying to tame. 
and always outside day and night crying out crying out cutting himself and so we see this this self-destructive behavior we see this broken behavior we see this really um, mentally disturbed spiritually disturbed in every possible way and Jesus enters into a conversation with him. Now what I love about this is Jesus, um, the man sees Jesus and he runs to him and, and my, my version says he falls at his feet and worships him but, but really the word is not worship, really the word is prostrates himself. So he runs up to Jesus and falls down on his face in front of Jesus and then he cries out with a loud voice, what have I to do with you Jesus son of the most high God? I implore you do not torment me. Now, the commentaries that I read were really interesting on this because they said the fact that he names Jesus um, was a fact of attempt to control. Now, first of all, we have the interesting thing that he knows who Jesus is. Um, and he, he, so the demons are very well aware that they have come up against a force stronger than they are. They know that Jesus is the son of the Most High God and they acknowledge him as such. But the fact that they name him is an attempt of the demons to control. We know who you are. And there's a sinister nature about those words. We know who you are. Um, and then the, and then the I implore you, it is almost as if the demon-possessed man is trying to control the actions of Jesus before Jesus um, attempts to drive him out. So we have a conflict of authority. We have a conflict of will here. The demon knows he's in trouble, but it's an attempt to gain control over Jesus. I had never seen it in that light before, but it does shed light that there's a battle being fought. Now it's interesting to me because Jesus says to him, come out of the man. And then he says to him, what is your name? And in the fact of Jesus, Jesus it, requiring the demon to respond to him, um, and the man gives his name as Legion, which is actually the demon. There is a host, a host of Legion, a, a host of demons in this man. And they identify themselves by how many they are, how strong they are. So a Legion could be up to 6,000 troops in, in the army. So this is a host of demons. But the fact that the demons acknowledge the, their name to Jesus means that they're willing there's a there's there's an acknowledgement of Jesus's authority at this point and um and then and then they beg earnestly that he would not just send them out but he would send them into the swine now what i love here is that Jesus is in control and that Jesus is not afraid so he enters the situation he's not disturbed you don't get any sense of being flustered you don't get any sense of you get a sense of Jesus being in absolute control, just like he was in chapter 4 when he stood up in the boat and he said, Peace, be still. There's never an instant of hesitation in Jesus, as if maybe this is going to be a conflict harder than I can meet. There is utter confidence in who he is and what um, the authority he has to drive out these demons. So he makes the demons acknowledge who he is and, then, um, and, and, and acknowledge their name to him. And then they say, don't just send us out. Don't send us into the swine. And Jesus allows it. And, and this is kind of a puzzle. This is kind of a puzzle in everything that I read, um, why Jesus allowed it. I think what it does is it creates this visual image of the power of evil to destroy. So in this one man, there was enough evil to destroy up to 2,000 pigs. And not only destroy them, but to cause them to go crazy, run into the sea. 
and as I was as I was thinking about this, all that could come to my mind, um, all that came to my mind was Ephesians 6. Um, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. This is the acknowledgement of more than one world going on here. And many times we don't want to acknowledge that there is actually evil and that that is what we are resisting. So we're not resisting the people. We're actually resisting the, the force of evil in the name of Jesus. And, um, and so Jesus, what, what the demonstration does is to simply show that the power of, to, for violence that is that is in evil and sometimes we think oh we can play around a little bit with things that God has said don't touch or things that God has said these are not for you and we think oh it's not going to matter so much I'll ask for forgiveness or oh it doesn't matter so much if I do this and Jesus said the reason I want to give you a clean heart and keep your heart clean is so that we don't begin to flirt with evil and allow evil influences to enter into our lives and one of the um, I read so um, the the man who, the the son's man who um, cast out the demon and, and that cried Jesus is Victor at the beginning. He wrote a book called Jesus is Victor. Jesus is the Victor. And in the book, he talks about the tentacles of death that come into our lives. And we can profess to believe in Jesus, but begin to allow. Um, little tentacles of the enemy to creep into our lives a little a little sin here um, a thought that's not surrendered there and instead of bringing them to Jesus and allowing his Holy Spirit to cleanse us instead of confessing our sins to one another we begin to allow um, little sins to live in our heart and he described that as the tentacle of death and then what what it begins to do is wrap us up so that we cannot be free and, and this is where you, you have a man who had allowed himself to be totally taken over by those tentacles of evil. But, but we also can allow little ones to, to creep into our lives. And that's the message of a clean heart. And Jesus not only can give us a clean heart, he can keep our heart clean so that we can live in freedom. And one other thing that, that was in this book that I read was that Jesus wants to give us a spirit of life. So that he's breathing his life into every part of our lives. And um, in Romans 8, you know, it talks about the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the spirit that is at, live, that is at work within us, giving life to our mortal bodies. So it is that same spirit of life that's at work in us. I was reading um, by Cory Ten Boone, and she said, I went with, after she got out of prison, and she was traveling to all over, telling her story, and telling all about the goodness of God, and the amazing love of God. She and her helper went to a, um, into Poland, and at, at that time, there was, a, there was an oppression and a darkness because of, it was still under communist rule. And she said as soon as they got there, they woke up in the morning, they felt tired, they felt lethargic, they felt discouraged. And they couldn't actually, it was so much so, their legs were hurting, it was so much so that they were, they were struggling to do what God had called them to do. 
And so when they when they connected with the pastor who was hosting them, they said, we're really struggling. We're just low energy and we don't have what we need. And he said, it is a spiritual attack. There is an oppression in this place because this place has been handed over to the evil one. We will pray against it. We will invite Jesus in. And she said, as soon as we invited Jesus in, our strength returned, our hope returned, and he helped us for the assignment that was given. And then she wrote, and this is in her book, Tramp for the Lord, she wrote and said, there are cities, and I've been in cities in America where this is the case, where you go into the city and there is an oppression. And she said, we don't have to be afraid, but we must invite the Spirit of Jesus in so that Jesus can give us clean hearts and then wherever we go, we become a clean channel for him to use so that his Holy Spirit can enter in. And I find now that when I go into situations and I can sense the spirit of evil, I just say, Jesus, I welcome you here. I invite you here. You are welcome and you are Lord over this place. And then we give an opportunity for Jesus to be acknowledged and to be known in the midst and to conquer, to be victor over the evil. So then the, the swine run down the hill, and then, of course, the keepers of the pigs run into town to tell them what has happened. And um, I, I think what I love about this passage is this next verse, this may be one of my favorite verses in all of Mark. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. And I love that. When Jesus comes into our life and says, I'm going to drive out all the evil, I can, I can set you free from every chain that has bound you. And then what we find is he restores our peace. He restores our minds. He restores our relationships. I love it. He's sitting with Jesus. He's sitting, first of all. He's not raving, running around raving. He's sitting. He's quiet. He's calm. And he's with Jesus getting as close to him as he possibly can. I almost kind of imagine them kind of knee to knee, um, looking into his face, wanting to absorb as much of Jesus as he could. There's this sense when Jesus, when Jesus restores us and he drives out the evil that he brings peace. And sometimes um, what I love about Psalm 23 is, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. That is the sense of what God wants to do for us. I shall not lack because the Lord is my shepherd. I remember one time I was in the hospital. Papa was in the hospital and I was there with him and it was in the middle of the night and I was, I woke up, he was sleeping in the, in the hospital bed and I was in the chair and you know they're not very comfortable. And I woke up and I was trying to think of my scripture verses and the only one that I could remember was Psalm 23. And so I was saying to myself, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. And then that's as far as I got. And I actually, in the hospital room, laughed out loud. And I thought, oh my word, the Lord is my shepherd. Of course I shall not lack. Yahweh, Yahweh, the God of Moses, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Ruth, the God of David, the, the God who wrote this whole redemption story. He is my shepherd. I shall not lack. And I love that's how Psalm 23 begins. And Psalm 23 ends with this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. And you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You shall dwell in his presence. There's security. There's safety because you're with him. 
and that word shall follow you. I think this is the only time it's used in a positive way in the whole Old Testament. Every other time it's for an enemy pursuing you. It's an aggressive, I'm going to overtake you. And that's what the love of God does. Surely his love, his unchanging love and his goodness are going to overtake us. And in that love we will live. When Jesus drives out the evil in our lives, that's what he does. He restores our peace. He restores our mind. He restores our relationship. And it may be that you or someone you know has struggled with deep, deep, deep anxiety. And Jesus says, I want to come in and I want to restore your peace. I want to restore your mind, your heart, so that you can trust me and you can know it's safe to trust me. And this story gives a witness that it can be done. And then we see this that I love. So the people just say, we don't know what to do with you and you make us afraid. So will you please leave? And that's always another response. When we see Jesus perform in, in a miraculous way, we say, oh my goodness. We have the choice to either sit at his feet and say, oh, let me stay with you, let me stay with you, or to reject Jesus and send him away. We always have a choice of what we are gonna do with Jesus. And um, the, the demon-possessed man said, please let me go, please let me go with you. And you can imagine his fear to go home. You can imagine how nervous he felt to stay there with the people who are sending Jesus away. You can imagine his utter delight and joy when he was in the presence of Jesus. But listen to what Jesus says. Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Now, I love this. Go home. When Jesus comes and restores, he restores our home. He gives us a sense of home. As I was reading Corey Ten Boone's story, after she got out of, of the concentration camp, she went back to her home. And of course, her father wasn't there and her sister wasn't there. She was just alone. And she said, there are other people who are hurt by this. I'm going to take into my home the mentally disabled. And then, she, and then the next thing that happened was there was this beautiful home and it was owned by a very, very wealthy lady. And she said to Corey, if God sends home my son safely from this war, I'm going to open up my home to be a rehabilitation home for everyone who's been emotionally damaged by the war. And so this had been a dream of Betsy's that there was a place for people to go for healing. Because when God restores, he brings healing and he brings beauty. And then, and then the last thing that happened, the very last part of the hiding place is they're saying to Corey, they're saying to her, there is an old concentration camp we would like to make into a home for people who need a place to go. Would you come and look at it with us? And she said she drove up and of course there was the barbed wire and the gray and it was yucky and dirty. And all of a sudden she began to envision in her mind, we'll paint it green like things that are growing and we'll put window boxes in and it will become a place of beauty and healing and reconciliation. Because when Jesus drives out the evil, that's what he does. And things begin to grow and live and thrive, including our family relationships, our marriages, our hearts, our own lives. That's what they said in this book, Jesus is the Victor, that when, when the evil spirit was, was um, left this girl, that in the whole town, there began to be restoration, marriages healed, reconciliation brought. And then, okay, I, I'm, I'm, we're coming to the end, but I love this, go to your friends, go home and tell your friends. And Jesus was assuming the man still had friends. If you had been friends of the man who had gone totally crazy, lived among the tombs, can you imagine what it must have been like? Like, oh, he's coming home? And I was thinking about Narnia. I was like, I can imagine a story like this in Narnia and Aslan coming alongside this man's family and friends and saying to them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He, I have made him whole. 
And so this man was received back into life and into love and into home because of Jesus. And the miracle of that may be as great as the miracle that Jesus worked in the man's life. And then Jesus gave this man a purpose. And I love this. Go and tell what the Lord has done for you. And listen to what the man did. And he departed and began to proclaim into Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him. So Jesus says to him, go and tell what the Lord has done for you. And the man said, absolutely, I'm going to go and tell what Jesus has done for me. And so for the very first time, we have this coming together, Jesus is Lord. And the man didn't say it in that many words, but that was the witness that, that the man gave. Jesus is Lord. He's the first person that was able to do it. And then this became the rallying cry of the whole church. Proclaim what he has done for you, what the Lord has done for you. Yes, the Lord's name is Jesus. And that's what, when Jesus redeems us, he gives us a purpose in his redemptive story. And this demon-possessed man became the one who got to carry that message all around the Decapolis. And they said everywhere he gave his witness, people didn't mock him or laugh at him. They marveled. They marveled because they could see what God had done. And that's the witness that God wants to do in our lives when he sets us free. And one more thing as I close. I, want, I felt led that Jesus wanted us to pray for our families. That no power of evil would enter in. And I'm going, this is for, you can look this up. This is the book, Jesus is the Victor. It's free on, um, it's a free download on the internet. And um, it is a beautiful story and a beautiful testimony of what Jesus can do. And the table of contents I thought could be our, what we pray. Jesus overcomes the darkness. Jesus conquers sin. Jesus destroys the power of death. Jesus vanquishes every hell. Jesus lives and brings new light, new life. Jesus calls us to the fight. Jesus is Lord and Savior over all. And Jesus, we acknowledge you as such and ask that you would be that over, all, over our own hearts, over our marriages, our families, our friendships, our co-workers, our communities, our churches, our nation, and our world. And we ask it in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Spirit. If you want to learn more about Titus Women, visit us online at tituswomen.org.